The Christian life is a life of love. Paul, in Romans chapter 12, we've been walking through uh, the book of Romans for the last several months. But here in chapter 12, remember, Paul gives the uh, command to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. He doesn't just stop there with the commands. He then says to, in response to offering our bodies, that the next call is to renew our minds. And then last week, we talked about the giving of gifts. Now, Paul is going to urge the church of Rome to love, and the Christian life is just that. It is a life of love, and that leads, I think, to kind of this overarching thing this morning for us, the challenge of loving. There is a deep challenge for us uh, as human beings to follow through and to love, because What happens in relationship with other people is that we grow to know things about those people, and the more things we grow to know about those people, the more difficult and challenging it is to press in with that knowledge and still love. This is what uh, my friend and author Stephen Garber says, always and everywhere, you've heard this before, by the way, if you've been around here at all, Uh, this is our challenge as human beings. Can we know and love the world at the same time? Knowing its glories and its shames, can we still choose to love what we know? Is there any task more difficult than that? Think it through this morning for yourselves, from roommates to parents to siblings to friends, from neighborhoods to cities, from countries to cultures to continents. Once you begin to really know what a person and place is like, can you still love them? Can you still love it? Is that true? I mean, I think it is. I mean, the more we know about each other, the further down the rabbit hole of one another's life that we go, the more revelatory that journey is. And the challenges of still loving those people, that person, crop up. Danette and I have discovered plenty of things about each other over the years. And many of those things press into us and our love for each other. It's more than toothpaste containers and toilet seats and the way you do Christmas. It's all that kind of stuff, but it's also procrastination and conflict avoidance and shutting down or getting angry. If we know someone, the challenge of that knowledge is then loving them. Now, let's press this deeper for a second. In Romans, we are talking Jew and Gentile, two different ways of living life, two different philosophies of approaching life. And now, both people groups have been rescued by God and are attempting to live together as the church. It's like a blended family. And anytime you blend families, the challenge of knowing and loving is present. Now see what Paul is doing. Paul has unpacked the gospel about a God whose knowledge of us, Romans 1 to 3, of all our ungodliness, all the ways we press down the truth of our unrighteousness and pretend it's not there, all the ways we run away, plug our ears, stomp our feet, all the ways we act like we're the smartest people in the room, the most holy people, all the ways that we are unjust, even at one point calling us enemies of God. God knows that 
about us. And yet, what does he do? He, he moves in with love. And in the gospel of Romans, that love is the gift of the righteousness of God, the rectification of God, the God who moves into all our unloveliness with a knowledge of us and a love that doesn't just love us and forgive us and leave us, but a love that rectifies. That is what the righteousness of God is. It is a rectifying work of God, a love that makes right, a love that redeems, a love that repairs, a love that restores relationship. He moves in through his son Jesus. He redeems and repairs people who are enemies by uniting us to his son in such a way that we are moved from in the flesh to in the spirit. All that is true of the Son is now true of us. All the benefits the Son gets, all those gifts are now ours who were once enemies. The very ethic of Christianity is love. Love is essential to whatever Christianity should be. And that love extends all the way down through knowledge to even loving our enemies. Someone so other that they are there and you are here. Someone on the outside while you think you are in the inside. To love an enemy is to model the incongruent love that's been given to you by God. Have you uh, ever told your kids to love their siblings? Now, maybe it's an apology. Like, that's a work of love, right? When you press them, you need to apologize to your sister, to your brother. What do they do? Do they do it gladly? Never. It's always with a shrug or a guffaw or a sigh or a sorry. And so Paul begins our text knowing this about us, knowing that loving is knowing and still loving, that that loving must be genuine. So that's our first point this morning, Um, love truly, love truly. Love isn't just something you and I can conjure up. If I'm trying to love someone, then let's be honest, I've already failed. If I have to try to love someone, then I'm probably more concerned in my own efforts with getting that person to like me than actually showing them love. When we are trying to be loving, we often just say the thing that we think someone wants us to say. Now, we've all, um, or many of us, have experienced this in dating relationships, that temptation to, to just say things that the person wants to hear so that they might love us. In the 1993 movie Groundhog Day, Bill Murray, Phil, finds himself in an endless cycle of repeating the same day over and over again. While doing so, he learns new information about Rita, Andy McDowell's character. On each repeating day, in order to perfect his date with her and get her to fall in love with him. For example, after learning on one date what her favorite drink is, he orders the same drink before she does on the repeating date. And it's a weird drink. Or after scoffing at her comment about being a French major on one date, he perfects his response with the most beautiful French accent for the next date. 
It's hilarious. The entire perfect date seems serendipitous to Andy McDowell's character. But meanwhile, Bill Murray has been crafting the perfect date with information from dozens of dates that she doesn't know about. Bill Murray is trying to love, and it comes across highly manipulative. Paul says, let your love be genuine. But he doesn't end there. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. And this sets us back into the story of Scripture, the story of Romans itself. What is the good? In the book of Romans, the good is the rectifying love of God in Christ. There's almost a signature tagline of the gospel embedded in this. The key here is that Jesus is the protagonist of the story of love, not us. That we have been chosen, that we have been loved. It's what allows us to come to Romans 12 and offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. It's what impels us to uh, renew our minds, to use our gifts of God's grace within the community of faith. And also what empowers us to love. The kind of love that God has for us is not just the love given in order to save face, to seem loving, or to get us to like God. It's simply that God actually, genuinely cares about us, loves us. And we are to hold fast to the good, the gift of grace given to us as enemies. A God who loves not to save face, but a God who loves because he is love. When we find ourselves truly loving one another without trying, not just acting like we love someone by doing nice things because we know we should, but when we really, out of an overflow of our heart, love, it's, because we are, uh, it's not because we're trying our hardest. Instead, it's love happening to us, love overwhelming us, so that all we want to do is care for the object of our affection. It's a gift of grace when we are able to see past one another's shortcomings and annoyances and love them for who they are and not who we wish they would be. This is genuine love. This is love without hypocrisy. Love that isn't just because they are easy to love. It's a love that is real. Of course, Jesus has much to say about this, right? He says, we ought to love one another just as God has loved us. So Paul here in Romans 12 is riffing on this. Remember that this is no small statement to love as we have been loved. Jesus, after all, died for us. And Jesus is describing gospel love as the kind of love that allows us to meet each other where we are, leveling the playing field and causing us to want to lay down our very own freedoms for someone else. It's the love we are given by Jesus. It's the love that God creates in us. God being the operative word here. We love because we are loved. That's not a prescription of how we should try harder to love, but a description of the reality of what the, gospel, uh, the gospel's love does to people when we have the security of knowing that we are loved. This is the real deal kind of love that each of us has been gifted by God. Now, before the command to love, Jesus also tells his followers to abide in his love. Love and abiding seem to go hand in hand. When Jesus says abide, he's not talking about any particular spiritual discipline, as wonderful as those things may be. Abiding is a passive verb. When he says abide, he means being held in a way a branch is suspended above the ground as it connects to the trunk of a tree. Now, 
Yesterday, we, uh, in the wind, and this wasn't smart, by the way. You know, it was blowing like crazy, especially up at our house. And we were trying to restring some lights. We had a, a, a string of lights go out uh, that kind of lights up our backyard. And so we were stringing new lights, and there was this branch that was in the way of the wire. And to get the lights through, we needed to do something with the branch. And so I uh, started to just cut the branch. And it was a really, really big branch. And I had this, like, little handsaw that is really effective, actually, even though it doesn't look like it. And it, it starts to come down, and it starts to hang on that wire that I'm trying to free. So the, the predicament is all of the, the wire and the, all the lights are just going to come down that we've tried to string. So we call the boys, and they come to the rescue of Dad being very uh, not thoughtful about this. But that, that branch was not... Uh, was clung to the, uh, to the tree. Like the tree is what was holding that up. The, and once I cut that branch, it started to fall. But that branch is passively abiding to the trunk of the tree. When we are held by God, we experience the love of God within us, loving us exactly as we are right now, not as we wish we were. And that love comes from the roots of a tree whose source is endless. The roots of that tree that held the body of Christ who died in love. And one pastor says that when we white-knuckle our way through loving others because we think we should, when we try to bring about the fruits of the Spirit like love, we are really just duct-taping fruits on a dead tree. It's just not the real deal when we're trying to force the fruits of love to come. That force is often pride and resentment rather than care. Instead, we can put down the duct tape and enjoy the feeling of being held like a branch by a God who cares for, that, for us. And this is how we hold fast to the good, the good of love. Now, at the end of Groundhog Day, just to tie that up, Bill Murray has resigned himself to abiding in love. He's tired, he's given up trying, and he says to Andy McDowell, no matter what happens tomorrow or for the rest of my life, I'm happy now. In that moment, the curse is lifted and they finally fall in love. In abiding in the love he has, he is finally freed from the endless cycle of trying to control it. And this, friends, is how you let your love be genuine. This is how you know and still love. This is how you love your community and love your enemies. And it's the force, by the way, for the rest of these commands. So Paul then takes us, he breaks up the rest of the force of these commands into two locations. First, love your community. Paul gives a long list of exhortations and instructions in each of these verses. We could preach an entire sermon on each one, but we won't. But if the Christian life is a life of love... If we have been known and loved, then this is what the church who has been formed by that love should respond and do. So first, it's truly love the community. Um, We see some commands respective of this. How are we to truly love the church, the people of God? With honor. Honor means to treat others as valuable and precious. We are all image bearers of God each of us valuable and precious to him. Honoring our fellow image bearers means attunement. It means presence. It means being attentive to the person 
who is there in front of us as they come to you in front of you. Now, that's hard because many times within this very body, friends, we encounter each other with deep anxiety and even sometimes suspicion. And so being attuned to one another and attentive and present and listening, knowing someone, their hopes, their joys, their fears, knowing all the foibles and uh, things that they mess up on, which sometimes happens in a community, by the way, that can be hard. And so honoring them is being present to them and not to the anxiety that you might feel that's being produced when they or you walk into a particular room. Honor is being attuned to them in the form of listening and giving them your face. Paul is calling us to truly love the church with honor by being present to the church as the church really is. There's something about that, by the way. We uh, recently had my friend Matt Odom was uh, visiting our house. He came and preached here to the church. And um, Matt did this whole thing the whole time he was there of being present to my family, to my kids, to my wife, to me, to you, if you got a chance to spend time with him, even as he preached to you from this very pulpit, he was attuned to you and I in such a way that he honored you, and he honored me in that act. Now, he said lots of words of honor, which was also very honoring to me, and I felt all of that, but the most honoring thing he did was just be there, And the challenge of that is real, right, for us in the modern world. Even now, the challenge of being here and not somewhere else is very, very difficult. And so Paul calls the church to truly love the community, the body, with honor by being present, by treating another human being as valuable and precious. Your time with them and them as a whole. He also says with zeal, that we are to do this honoring with a passion, with a quest. We have a word in the Bible called covenant. Covenant is this word that is pressed upon us with vows and promises that we, with zeal, are showing our love for somebody by covenanting with them. When you join this church, you take particular vows of being a part of this particular body, and those vows mean something. They're speech acts that accomplish something in time and space. And so we fight for loving the community because um, of those covenants. We defend it. We protect it. It's a quest and a passion. We're also to do it with patience, Paul says. Love is patient. Paul writes elsewhere in 1 Corinthians, love means we rejoice in hope or patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. Danette and I have been talking about uh, this a lot um, as our kids transition into adulthood. Because for us, this transition is very difficult. And patient love, a love that endures, like there are tribulations that stretch each of our abilities to love. And when we go through these tribulations, it feels undoing, like you feel undone by the circumstances you're going through. And how, the question then becomes, how am I going to get through this and love? Like how in the world am I supposed to do this, navigate this? Well, Paul says with patience. 
And this is where embodied hope comes in. Like, you know this isn't the end of the story. If you are a Christian being embedded into the body of Christ, you know the end of the story isn't just the tribulations that Christ experiences. That's a sliver of it, a chapter of it. Anytime love is challenging, patience is demanded, and hope is the thing that grounds us, not in the present, but the future. And for us as Christians, this is bound up in resurrection and new life. And what Paul is saying here is that as we encounter tribulations as the body, as we press in with patience to still love, that leads us to the obvious place. Where? To pray. Don't miss this. Like the tribulations that stretch our love for one another are moments for us to be a person who embodies hope for others and to stick with that love, we must pray. Again, genuine love is not something that can be conjured up. For real. For real, for real. It's outward to inward and inward to outward. God's objective love is impressed upon us, changing us so that we can love, not perfectly, not always even, but so we can know and still love, so we can patiently endure tribulations that cause us to stress and strain about that love, to be anxious about that love, to press into those tribulations with hope that the gospel means resurrection and new life is always possible in any relationship that we have, and so we pray, asking God to help us, knowing that love is outward to inward, inward to outward. Just a note on this. When the people in your life feel difficult to love, remember that you are more difficult. Always. And that is a good baseline for you to embody the hope and the prayer that's needed to still love. And that leads to the next part of loving community and bleeds into loving our, neighbor, our enemies, by the way. Love with empathy, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. A loving community is one where we actually know people and people are actually known. And that means your heart is bound up with the heart of another. So that when they are glad, you are glad. And when they are sad, you are sad. It means we are empathetic with each other. It means we share one another's lives, both the joy and the pain. Now, there's so much of this, by the way, in our church here at City Press. So many of you who know and move in with empathetic love. I love this about our church. We want to be a community in which you would be really missed if you were gone. You don't want to be in a church that's so big and so distant that no one knows you are there and no one knows you are gone. Now that, by the way, is actually appealing sometimes. We don't have to know anyone or be known. Like that can be appealing to us. But it only adds to the epidemic of loneliness in our world. No, we want to rejoice in each other's rejoicing and grieve in each other's grieving. I've seen that time and time again here. And I'm thankful for it. It's easy to say you love the church when you really don't know any of the people. Charlie Brown says, I love the world. It's Lucy I can't stand, right? 
We want you to empathize with real people, specific and particular people, dealing with specific and particular pains and joys. We want you bound up with them, covenanted with them, and then bound out with you. Why? Because the story of the gospel is a God who has bound himself to us. He is wrapped in our joys and our hurts. He is empathetic to us. The book of Hebrews and the writer of Hebrews stresses to us all these wonderful, beautiful things about Jesus. And at the end comes to this realization that Jesus is a savior who empathizes with everything it means to be a human being. Now, stay with me here. Because I think sometimes we, you know, Jesus in his perfect love, like he didn't fail in any of that. He didn't give in to the temptation. And you and I are here walking through our worlds, like giving in to temptation after temptation. And yet the writer of Hebrews says, there's no temptation that seized you that Jesus himself doesn't understand or know. And you're going, well, how could that be? Because like Jesus didn't give in to those temptations. And some of us might even like wrestle with that and think, well, maybe it'd be better to have a savior who is imperfect like me so he can really understand me. But because Jesus didn't give in to those temptations, because he's not clouded by sin, the sin that keeps us from being able to be present to one another because we're so anxious about our own sin and lives that when we walk into a room like the church, sometimes we just feel guilty by the very walking into it, right? Like that anxiety that's produced in us that keeps us from being present to other people, Jesus doesn't have any of that because he hasn't sinned. And so he not only understands temptations because he was human in the flesh, real flesh and blood walking this earth, he understands that them so much better because sin hasn't separated him from his own life, his own emotions, from the God who loves him and from other people. So he enters fully in with you. And so loving the community requires this same sort of empathy that Jesus has for us. Now, I'm going to actually, I thought I was going to keep going, but I'm actually going to end because I'm going long. So, um, and we'll come back to the second part of this, loving our enemies next week. This is the beauty of not having, uh, we've been preaching through Romans, right? And I'm the only one preaching through it for this very reason because there's things that we get to and I'm like, uh, I don't want to go any longer than this and I don't have to stick to the schedule of someone else preaching next week or another week or whenever the next person preaches and they're preaching a particular text in Romans. That's just a side note. It's extra for you today. (laughs) But what I want you to understand is that genuine love as it's worked out, it's only worked out here in the community. Last week we talked a lot about the giving of gifts as like your family and how the family really is to be a helpful understanding of how life is to be in the church. Like genuine love in your family should look like this, right? It doesn't always, by the way. Our families fail miserably sometimes at this, but we should honor each other and have zeal in showing that honor. And we should love with patience and with empathy. And Paul calls the church to be an embodied family in the world for the mission of the church. So you and I are invited into this, and it is a gift for you and me. Don't miss that. This is a gift to 
lay down our lives in such a way to love the church, to love the people you're sitting next to, to love all the people who aren't here today with honor, with covenantal, zeal-like love, with patience, and with empathy. And it's very, very difficult. And the, the Lord Jesus himself is the inspiration and the hope for us because he, from the outside in, has changed us. He can make us have genuine love like this for one another, love that endures because of the hope of the gospel and praise every day through the tribulations of when that love is stressed and strained till that love is made manifest in resurrection and new life. Whether that is here in the moment, like when someone's life is changed by love, or whether that's later on, on the last day, when Jesus returns and new life is formed for all of us. That's your hope for all of this this morning, church. Um, And so let's press into that this week, we pray. God, uh, help us to do this, to truly love uh, as a community. Father, that we might um, love one another in such a way that we might see that love is something that happens to us. And when it does, it's a grace that enables us to see past each other's shortcomings, annoyances, to know them and still love them and help other people to do that to us because that's what we want. We want to be known and still loved. And the great fear for many of us is that our lives will be marked by a loneliness of either not being known or when we are known, not being loved. So I pray that you would let your love be genuine amongst us as your community, a city prez, and that we would love one another with honor and with zeal and with patience and with empathy that the love would be the mark of our church. We ask all this in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.